Hey guys, most of you know that I'm one of the founders here at the Motherhood Anthology membership along with Jenny and Allison, but I wanted to let you know that I'm also one of the co-owners of Indie Print Co. And at Indie, we say that we're on a mission to revive the art of printing by means of beautifully crafted heirloom albums and fine art prints. Now through February the 7th, Indie is offering our studio sample sale. That means 40% off of heirloom and fine art sample albums and 20% off of our fine art prints and our matted sample albums. You don't need a code, you just need to go on our site and set up an account. So just go to IndiePrintCo.com and click on shop to see all the lovely products that we have there for you. Again, the sale will be offered until February the 7th, so head on over there today and check it out. Ever feel like you can't get out of your own way? Like you can't get out of your own head and out of your own way to let your business move to the next level? The psychology of entrepreneurship can be a beast, but it's one that we don't need to shy away from as business owners and especially creatives. Through the fog of understanding the mind comes a wealth of knowledge and clarity that can not only help, but also catapult us into a whole new level of success. Welcome to the Motherhood Anthology podcast, photography education for a business you love. My name is Kim Box, and I'm your host with a collaboration of my business partners at the Motherhood Anthology, Jenny Kruger and Allison Craig. Kristen Sweeting is a photography business owner, business coach, podcaster, and mentor at Belmont University, and someone I have long time admired. Today, I'm thrilled to sit down with her and talk about business, pricing, success, and the psychology behind it all. If you're a business owner, creative, or really an entrepreneur of any kind, you will not want to skip a single second of this episode. Now I present to you episode number seven of the Motherhood Anthology podcast. Hey, Kristen. Hi. How are you this morning? I'm great. How are you? I'm fine. I'm so excited to talk to you and I'm just so proud of you. Like, I, I, I really mean that. Like, and I... I hope you're proud of you because you're doing great things. Yeah. I'm just having a fun time. I just <laughs> going day day to day. It's just fun. So <laughs> well, that's so obvious too that you are having fun. So um today I am super excited to talk to the owner of Kristen Sweeting Photography, the founder of Danger School and Dangerous Creatives Mastermind, Dangerous Creatives Podcast. So before we get started, I'd love for you just to back up and tell folks about yourself and how you got started and a little more about your journey and the evolution of your businesses. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, I love everything y'all do and Kim, it's just been so fun getting to know you and all your businesses too. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk today. I, I am Kristen Sweeting. I've been a wedding photographer for 12, 13 years. I, I never quite know exactly when the starting point was, you know, because <laughs> it. Um, I started as a musician and then that transitioned into me working at a big mega church doing youth ministry. So I was like leading camps and doing trips and speaking in front of middle schoolers and mentoring middle schoolers. And so it's funny to watch the transition from like a music education degree and music focus to then 
mentoring teenagers. And then while I was in that job, I started my photography business kind of as a way to make a little extra money. And I really loved it and enjoyed it. And within a year or two of starting it as kind of a side hustle, it became my full-time, my full-time thing. And I quit my job and it's just been growing ever since. So it's been a really, really fun journey. And I don't know how much, how much of the story do you want? I know we'll probably get into more of it. I want all of it. So tell me about, um, and, and to back up a little bit, that's another thing. I think that's, um, one of the reasons that I follow you so closely is I just relate to you so much and our stories are so similar. So single mom, breadwinner, you lost your dad, like all those things for me, the same. So, you know, I was single six-year-old little girl trying to figure out how to pay the bills, started shooting weddings, mid wedding business, thriving wedding business. Um, My dad had a heart attack while I was at a wedding. Um, And before I could get um, Josh there to replace me at the wedding and get to the hospital, he passed away. And so after that, lots of anxiety about weddings and having to be there on a day, no matter what else was going on and just trying to figure out like, you know, like uh, two years later, my husband um, also had a heart attack and just all the things that go, you know, with being the breadwinner then, and like the anxiety to keep doing that, you know, I want to talk about all those things with you. So I, I share all that to say, like, I feel like we're kind of kindred spirits and like figuring out like, oh gosh, like, can I do this at this pace for the rest of my life? And how am I going to pay the bills if I slow down? We do have really similar stories. Yeah. After, so after I, I started my photography business and was the breadwinner at the time and like supporting me and my spouse and he had a job too, but we were, you know, we were trying to figure out being young adults and, So I poured everything into this photography business and also really tried to do it alone because I knew it was just this fragile thing at the time and I loved it. And I knew if I got like, if I met other photographers or if I got too involved in a photography community, I thought I was going to just, I'd get so in my own head, I wouldn't be able to see straight. So for a while, I really like stuck to myself and in some ways it was good. And in other ways, I missed so many opportunities to grow and to connect with people and to see outside my own kind of bubble. When that stuff started changing was because lots of stuff started happening in my personal life. You know, I had been working at a church. My spouse and I had been on like full-time ministry staff for a long time. And both of us kind of deconstructed our religion while working inside of a religious institution, which is not ideal (laughs) when you're Mm. like, when you're, um, you're being paid for believing something and then you don't believe it anymore. So that started happening. And then, so my photography business started picking up more and then, yeah, I, I had a miscarriage. My son was born and my dad died all within six months. And it was during that time where I was just like, we're just not we're not going to make it unless I make a choice to really lean into us, into it. So it was like the, the month that my dad passed away, I invested in coaching for the first time in my business. And I was like, I'm going to figure out how to make money from this and not just take what comes to me. And it's the first time I really, really got active in my business and decided like, this can be more than just a fun, you know, a fun thing that brings in some money sometimes like this 
this needs to be the thing that takes care of us. And after that time is when I became a single parent and again, was still breadwinning, but now like really just being me. And so I was so glad that I made that choice, even though it was really hard at the time. There was a lot going on in my life that, but there's this pattern of when stuff gets hard, do you cuss on this podcast? Probably not. (laughs) It's fine. Go ahead. (laughs) Like When shit gets hard, it's like, you kind of have to make that choice of, am I going to lean in? And decide that I'm going to use this energy to make me move forward, or am I going to let it make me withdraw and hide and not pursue what I want to do? So there's been so many points in my life and business journey where I had to make that choice. And every time I did, I felt so much more courageous, so much stronger. My business doubled, tripled, and I was so glad that I like leaned into those hard moments. So let me ask you a question there. Um, Josh and I, Josh, my business partner, we talk about this question a lot because we're like all in kind of entrepreneurs. Like when we feel like we're on the right path, we're not afraid to just dive in and try to figure it out and make it work. And, and we're just wired that way, I think like, but then there are people that I know that like have these dreams and ambitions and they want to do something and they just don't just step out and do it. And like, as entrepreneurs wired the way we are. We're like, you know, you're cheering for them. What is it do you think that you have that maybe I have, Josh has, what is it in your journey that gave you that confidence to say, you know, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to try this because it seems like you're well, you're a dangerous creative. So. <laughs> and that's kind of why I named it that, but it's not because I don't actually know that I am wired that way. I think it's something I learned and I think anyone can learn it. Unfortunately slash fortunately for me, a lot of mine came from really hard life situations, but I don't think you have to go through something really hard to make that choice. In my own life, I see times where I was like backed into a corner and you just have to make a choice. You know, you have to make a choice on what you want the rest of your life to be defined as. So I think like sometimes it can be a situational thing. And sometimes it's like, maybe you've gone through enough hard things that you just really trust yourself now. But I do think that that self-trust is something that can be developed through practice and through being around the right people and, you know, the small actions day after day that remind you that you're strong and you're capable and you're, you have something to offer to the world. What is that quote? Whether you believe you believe you can, or you cannot, you're, you're correct. You're right. Yeah, you're correct. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what are you motivated by? Do you, I mean, is it money? Is it? I think I'm motivated by growth and freedom. Like I love trying new things. I love exploring like what's next. And I think, I think money is a part of that, but it's more of a tool that helps you have the things that you really value. And there's also other tools besides money. There's you know, there's relationships and there's, there's locations and there's talents and there's different skills that we acquire. So I think abundance isn't just limited to money, but I do think it is a tool that can help us live out our values in some really valuable ways. So let's back up a little bit. And I wanted you to be here today because you're, you're such a strong coach. And I think that the things that you teach definitely apply to any genre 
so many people in our community like are coming from the wedding world and they're wanting to like niche down into motherhood photography to get their weekends back or just like you said to build the life you know that like for me like I still shoot just a very hand few weddings like a handful a year but like it was so hard for me that you know I felt like life happened on Saturdays once your children were older you know sports and yeah um, different things and I do you have people in your program that are doing that that are like niching out of weddings maybe and do you have some maybe practical advice for that yeah, I, I coach photographers and creatives that are, yeah, some are in weddings, some are in portraits, some want to start doing coaching themselves too. And, and yeah, I, I feel like a lot of people have that same kind of transition of our kids are getting older. I'm, I'm kind of in that myself too. My son's seven now. I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't want to shoot every weekend. And so, yeah, I mean, pricing is such a huge piece of that because if, you know, if someone decides to stay in weddings, you can limit the amount that you're doing, the amount of time you're gone by really like raising the prices. Even you asked beforehand, if I had made just gradual adjustments to my pricing or big jumps, I'm like, I've made big, big intentional jumps in my pricing to get me closer to the goal that I was wanting to have. So if it's like, I only want to have five weddings, you know, which is kind of what I'm doing now, five weekend weddings. This is what I need to charge for them. So making those big intentional choices that are aligned, aligned with pricing psychology, which we can talk about and also lifestyle goals. And so a lot of people, if they are moving into motherhood photography, family photography, pricing is going to be a really big piece of what helps make that transition helpful and, and in line with with the goals that they're achieving. And then also creating some different revenue streams can be really helpful too. And so one of the things that we coach our students on is four pillars of uh, creative business income. The first pillar is meat and potatoes, which I kind of say like, that's a little bit more boring and the, not everyone has a meat and potatoes in their business, but especially if you're a single parent or uh, the breadwinner and really need, you're like, I don't have the option of letting this not be profitable. Like I have to make money from this A meat and potatoes offer can be really helpful. So an example, when I was single parenting, I pitched a couple retainer clients that way I had something consistently coming in. So maybe it wasn't even in the genre that I was actively promoting. So for me, I pitched like a branding retainer to a company that needed consistent imagery. So once a month I was doing a content shoot for them and I was helping them create their imagery and their, the stuff they're going to post online and their marketing material. And I had a consistent paycheck that was coming in every month. So it was like, even if everything else dried up, even if no one booked me for their wedding, I wasn't going to be freaking out being like, how am I going to buy my kid clothes? I had my retainer that I knew was committed to me for a year that paid my bills or at least paid a a good chunk of them. So that's the meat and potatoes. I think that can really, really help 
people, especially if they tend to be anxious about money, which I tend to get really anxious about money, like safety and security are pretty high up on the values for me. And then the second pillar is main stars, which to me, that's the thing that you're known for. So if that's motherhood photography, you're like, I am known for this very specific type of motherhood photography. When people hear my name, they associate me with this brand. Like there's this one thing that I'm marketing. I I do think it's easier to grow when you have, when you have one consistent face to your business, you know, like the consistent look, the consistent type of work that you do. It doesn't mean you can't do other things. I just think that they come like the work comes to you from different means. Like my retainer client came from me pitching it and from relationships. Like I don't actively market that type of work anywhere on my website. So the main star is the thing that you're known for. For me, that's wedding photography. So only was posting weddings, higher end weddings, only was posting destination weddings, whatever that thing you're known for. Then you have the number three pillar, which is the add-ons, the enhancers. So it's like, what's going to enhance your main service? So if your main service is motherhood photography, add-ons could be albums, could be prints, could be, you know, longer experiences or longer packages, things that enhance what that client is already getting. Jay Abraham said the only, you know, the only three types of income you have in a business is one, new clients two, upselling your current clients, and three, getting repeat business. And when you kind of boil it down to those three things, you're like, oh, it's not as complicated as you think when you're just like, I need to market and make a million reels and it's overwhelming. It's like really only those three things. So if you can upsell your current clients and get your clients to come back every year, you've already cut down on your workload by so much because getting those new clients is the hardest thing, right? And like most expensive to do is to get the new clients. Whereas if you can retain clients, you're saving money and you're, you're just creating this relationship and this rapport, which is an awesome thing about motherhood photography and, and family photography is you have people that want you to work with them every year, a couple of times a year. And it's a little bit more challenging with weddings because you're not getting the same repeat clients in that way. And then number four pillar is PJ profits. And that's something that, you know, is a little bit more passive, a little bit more like a, a product that you create, something that you can sell, an education offer, a, um, a PDF preset, you know, something like that, that is kind of selling on, you make it once and it sells on repeat. So those are the four pillars that we kind of coach people through. And so when people are making big moves or they're like, I want to, I want to make enough money so I can only work two days a week and be with my kids the rest of the time, or, um, I want to travel more or, you know, whatever the goal is, those four pillars really help people get there. So let's talk about pricing psychology a little bit. I remember I think it was in Nashville at maybe PPA. We were like, I remember having a small conversation about numbers and kind of the psychology around numbers. I I honestly don't remember exactly what we were discussing, but I do remember hearing you talk about price brackets and the psychology behind charging certain amounts and numbers. And I, I remember like thinking, oh, that's so good and so interesting. And that stuck with me. And I've always wanted to talk with you more about that. So I honestly don't even know the right question to ask, but if you just dive into that and talk a little more about that, 
I think that um, that'd be really interesting. Yeah. I love this topic and I actually, I'm kind of nerdy. And so I think about it a lot. Like I would drive around and look at the cars on the street and think about what people are spending on their houses and what people spend on a bag or on this thing or that thing. And, and how often I hear photographers say, no one can afford what I want to charge. And I'm like, you haven't driven around and looked at all the Land Rovers around you. Like as soon as you start paying attention to what people are spending money on, you realize the issue isn't that people don't have money. It's that we haven't communicated how valuable the thing that we're offering is. We haven't built a brand that is so valuable that people don't think twice about spending, you know, a luxury price on what we're offering. So it, it's, I think it's an easy mindset thing to go to of, oh, no one has the money for what I want to offer, what I want to do. It's just like, it simply isn't true. There's people in all kinds of income brackets, spending all kinds of things on all kinds of, you know, things that are aligned with their values. And it's showing people why what you're doing is valuable to them too. And, and reaching the people that value the same things you value. And so for a lot of people, it's like a marketing issue. It's a position in the market issue. And it's not that there aren't people out there willing to spend it. So with pricing psychology, I had a friend who we used to talk about this all the time. There's kind of these different levels in our brain and our brain tends to go towards certain numbers. And it's why, you know, people use 0.99 when they're, you know, you're shopping at Walmart and you see like 9.99 or whatever. It's like our brains try to trick us because we're always trying to convince ourselves that what we want is worth it, you know? So we, we cling on to these numbers that, that help us out. But when you're pricing more of a luxury service, which photography, no matter how you look at it is a luxury service. And we're not upselling potatoes here. Like these are, this is art and art is a luxury service, no matter whether you put that name on your brand or not. And so when we're coming up with pricing, our brains tend to round up to these certain numbers. So an example is like 500 is a pricing level and a thousand and 2,500 and 3,500 and 5,000. And then it starts jumping up higher. So it goes 5,000 to 10,000, 10,000, 20,000, 20,000 to 50,000 and 50,000 to a hundred thousand. So when we are like splitting hairs over whether I should charge 1200 or 1300 for a photo shoot, that $100 doesn't matter as long as it makes sense within these kind of pricing bracket plateaus, because our brain is constantly rounding to one of these numbers. So as an example, with wedding photography, um, for a long time, when I was priced kind of around, like, let's just look at the number 5,000. So say something you're doing costs $5,000. You could price that at 4,900. You could price it at 5,000. You could price it at 5,250. They're all kind of the same number to someone's brain because you're rounding it to that 5,000 number. So 4,900 rounds to 5,000. And it's kind of like when you put 4,900, it's a little bit of, I'm just like a little bit cheaper than your budget, right? And so that's like, you're speaking to the person that is like, ooh, you know, save a little bit here, save a little bit there, who values that. But also 5,000 and 5,250, if someone's like, I really want this photographer, but they're 5,200, our budget was 5,000. It's not so much that someone's not going to spend 
250 more. When you're pricing it, you're like, you could choose 4,900 or you could choose 5,250. The same person's going to book you. So why are we not kind of like reaching for the bigger number? And then when you start moving out of that pricing bracket, so I remember being priced at like 6,500 for a while and no one was booking me. And I think it's because you're kind of in this no man's land between where your brain wants to go because the next, the next level from 5,000 is 10,000. And so when I'm working with a client who's trying to raise their pricing, I try to get them up closer to where the brain's going to round up to 10,000 than like staying in this wishy-washy middle space where your brain doesn't really know what to do with it. Like 6,000 is too much for someone that has a $5,000 budget, but not enough for someone that has a $10,000 budget. Um, So yeah, I think pricing psychology is really interesting. And so when I've made pricing jumps, I'm just making one right now, I'm doubling my pricing in like almost everything that I offer. It's because the market can support it the quality of what I'm providing is there. I've been, you know, undercharging really. And because if I try to just creep up my pricing, it's not going to be as effective as if I double it. I'm just thinking about my own pricing. <laughs> so, right? if, so a lot of that really kind of like, it, well, I suppose that the, those bigger numbers are kind of more wedding related. So could you like kind of apply that same psychology maybe to portrait pricing? Like where do you see people like struggling? What are the gaps? Like when you're coaching a portrait photographer, um, where do they get stuck? I mean, it's the same thing, just different numbers. You know, I think a lot of what I hear from portrait photographers is, oh, I can't charge X, Y, Z for portraits. No one will spend that. And I'm like, that's also just not true. You can still work with the pricing psychology and creating value around something. So like, like what's the number that you hear often, Kim, where people are like, I can't charge more than this for family photography. I mean, I think you get like all inclusive shooters that are just um, shooting and giving digital files for under a thousand a lot of times, but then you have photographers that are consistently like in the 2,500 to $3,500 range selling products and albums and that to a lot of people, I think, seems like I could never get there. You know, instead of just specifically answering a question on pricing, because I do think it's really personal to each person and to each location, um, there is an elements of value chart that I I reference back to a lot. It's You can Google it. It's Harvard Business Review, Elements of Value. And there's a pyramid that's loosely based off of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, And it's essentially showing you all the different pieces of value that go into why something can be priced higher. So, you know, I've been, like you said at the beginning, I've been lecturing at a university a lot. And every time I go in there, I'm like, when I was in your chair, I had a flip phone. I never would have imagined that by this point in our lives, it would be so common for everyone to have an iPhone that like, you know, the 12 year old down the street has one is walking around with a $1,500 device in their pocket. And we feel like we can't live without it, you know, cause like my flip phone was $20 and like, I got charged for each text message I sent, you know what I mean? Like, right. it's mind blowing to think about that jump in price and that now we feel so tied to it. And so I go through this elements of value pyramid, which is 
um, like why, why can Apple charge that? And ever, we're just like, here, take my money. And it's because we have all these things. So I'll kind of read some of them off. Um, and if you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's like, it's a pyramid shape. And at the bottom is kind of the, the food, shelter, safety. It's like things that every human needs. And then as you move up the pyramid, it's like, so if your safety needs are met, then we move up to emotional needs and we move up to like, we need connection and community and belonging. And if those are met, then we move up to um, like our goals and our hopes and our dreams and like helping other people. And then we keep moving up to kind of this like self-actualization point at the top. And it's just, it's realizing that if someone's, if someone doesn't feel safe, if someone's not fed, if someone isn't like housed, it's going to be really hard to have the conversations at the top of the pyramid that go deep into like self-actualization, you know, um, and like hopes and dreams. You have to meet the physical needs first and then move up the pyramid. And so the elements of value pyramid is shaped similarly. And at the bottom, you have the functional things, which is um, makes money, reduces anxiety, organizes variety, reduces effort. Um, and then you move up to emotional, which is, um, which is attractiveness, badge value, design, nostalgia, fun, therapeutic value, provides access. And then the next section up on the pyramid is self-actualization, provides hope, motivation, affiliation, heirloom, and the very top is self-transcendence. And so when you think about photography, we're already like hitting on so many of those elements of value just intrinsically in what we do. We're providing, we're providing hope for people. We're providing heirlooms, um, self-actualization. We're helping someone become a better version of themselves through how we see them in our photography. So I do think a part of the pricing conversation is that photographers in general just don't see how valuable what we do is. And then on top of that, you're creating a stronger brand, you're creating name recognition, you're creating affiliation. So people want to be known as someone that works with you because your brand is so strong. And all of those things just keep adding value to what you offer. So I'm, I'm not, I, I always think if you're going to do a big pricing jump, if you're going to charge more, match it with how much value you're adding to it. And you can Google this elements of value pyramid and be like, how do I add value here? How do I add value? How do I make someone feel more safe? How do I make someone feel um, like they belong or this provides access in some way? So, um, so that, that is always a thing that I just go back to. Cause I'm like, if you can point to all those things on the elements of value pyramid and you're providing them with your photography, you should be charging a lot more for it. You, you know, your, your iPhone, your value just went up. So I know that you talk a lot about mindset and um, I think that's part of your, a big part of your um, coaching program. And we see so often that the difference between those that are really like having a lot of success and are charging a premium, um, really the difference is not so much the quality of their work or the, um, the, the, service that they provide it's that they just have the confidence to do that so do you have any like tips for mindset like practical ways to to boost your confidence like could you talk about that for a second yeah totally 
I actually don't believe a lot of mindset issues get solved in our own minds. And this is coming from someone who overthinks, who is highly anxious, who probably has adult ADHD and hasn't ever been diagnosed. Like my mind just spirals out of control when I try to think of like, how is this worth it for me? You know, how am I worth it? Why should I charge more? That kind of thing. I actually think we have to take a lot of action to solve our mindset, quote unquote, issues, our mindset challenges. We have to get out in the real world and we have to move our bodies and we have to get feedback externally and see what other people are doing. So, you know, when, when I'm thinking back to my early days of my photography, when I was like, I can't know what other people are doing or it'll, you know, paralyze me and I won't be able to move forward. Actually, the opposite was true. When I finally got into a Facebook group where I saw what other people were charging and what was possible, it really was expansive for me. So I think one tip would be get around other photographers and talk about their pricing and what they're able to do. I think that can be super expansive. Find people that are that are charging more than you. Um, find people that are making more money than you. If that's some of your, if that's some part of your goal is to make more or to charge more, find people that are doing that and and like let that let those conversations and that energy, you know, motivate you forward. I also think doing enough action so that you're convincing yourself that you're good at something. You know, so if you're like, I'm not good enough to charge that try to break it down. What would, what needs to be better to be able to charge that? What is someone else doing that you're not doing? So it's like, instead of letting that thought just overwhelm you, it's being like, okay, I don't feel totally confident in my artificial lighting. So you have options here. You can either go learn how to be better at artificial lighting, or you can pick a location where you never have to use artificial lighting and you can only use natural lighting and you just tell people that's the only place that you shoot, or you can upgrade your camera gear. You start finding solutions to the problem that's getting in the way of your mindset or in the way of your confidence. The other thing is like getting feedback from people. So asking your clients for reviews, asking for feedback, trying to figure out what you do really well what you can improve on. Some of the things that hold us back is just that we don't open ourselves up to the truth, you know, and we make these stories in our own heads that are usually way worse than what's actually happening. So if someone is telling you, this is what was super amazing about what you did. And if someone's like, this is what I thought you could have done better. Those things are really helpful and they can take us into that next level of our business when we're scared of it, we just let it become this giant monster that tells us we're not good enough instead of like, this is a thing that we can find a solution for. So yeah, those three things, three things, be around people, figure out what the thing is that you feel like you're not good enough at and try to solve it. And then also get feedback both on the positive side and on the constructive side. I think that's so true. I know in in your program and in our membership, it's when people join, they have this mindset of I could never charge that I could never make that and then I think we say a lot of times that like the most valuable part of our membership is just the community because people will quickly say I do yes you can this is how I do it and it's so inspiring and fun you know when three or four months later they're sharing their numbers and how 
they just had their largest sale and then they couldn't believe like I've spent three years charging one price when they could have been charging another. And, and it's all just because they see other people doing it. And so that is so true. I think Um, it's true in lots of areas of life. You know, when I start noticing a block for myself in something, um, I, I try to find people that are doing that thing, you know, even if it's not fully what I want, they're doing some aspect of it. And I'm like, listen, if it's possible for that person, it it's at least like possible for me to get closer to it, you know? So like, even I had a really big mindset block around leadership and around like empowerment. And if I let myself be a leader or I let myself have quote unquote power, I felt really uncomfortable with that of like only bad people have power. Only bad people are leaders. And I was like, interesting. I I didn't even realize that that was a subconscious thing that I was struggling with. And that was getting in the way of a lot of things in my business. Cause like, what do you do if you think that leaders are bad, but you like back down from all leadership opportunities, you know? And so I started pulling together evidence that you can be a leader that does good. So, you know, Dolly Parton is big on my wall and, you know, these different people that have overcome a lot and are doing so much good in their position of quote unquote power or quote unquote, like influence They're they're creating so much good around them. And we need to balance out our negative connotations of things with the positive ones. If we want to move forward into something. So you mentioned um, that you're kind of wired ADD with your mind, like spiraling. Like I totally relate to the mind, like never turning off the wheels, always spinning and what a challenge that can be. And so do you have any advice for me? (laughs) How do you flow that? How do you be quiet that? I don't know. You know what I'm trying to ask? Like what, what are practical ways to like, as entrepreneurs, I know that we're there, we're kind of like, I say it again, like wired that way, but like, have you found things that really help you kind of quiet and calm and. Yeah, I, so, I mean, I'll say I'm still very much daily struggling with that. I don't know that we ever like arrive at it, but some things that have been helpful for me is like a daily walk practice. Like I notice when I don't go on a walk every day that my mind is not the same. Um, so starting the day with a walk, trying to get as much energy out and as instead of letting it kind of coop up in my head. Um, so I, yeah, I found that like moving my body is one of the biggest things and it sounds so simple, but it like already always makes such a big difference. I also notice it's really, you know, attached to my alcohol intake when I have, I read quit like a woman and I didn't drink for like seven months. And now I drink here and there when that book says that it takes like four days to cycle out alcohol from your brain. And so if you're not like, if you're having a drink every day, it's just building up the, you know, stuff that it's like toxic in your brain, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's been something that I've carried with me too, is like, oh, if I don't want my brain to be affected by this, I have to give it longer breaks away from this, you know, chemical. So yeah, a lot of it is, is stuff like that. And then who I'm around my boundaries, like all of that is really impacts my, my mind. And then, and then what I'm able to do with my business and in my life, because our minds are so powerful. And I also take long breaks. So I'll do 
I'll work really hard for a few months and then I'll take like months off or I'll take a month off. And like that, that's me personally. I feel like I operate like more like a wave, you know, it, it comes in and it's really, there's a lot and then it goes out and I need to like go away, you know? So yes. I think everyone has different patterns too, but that's definitely one of mine. Yeah. Mine too. I, that, I think I learned like, w- well, I've been doing this for so long, you know, you kind of do get to see the patterns. And so I've learned that usually the, the solution to most things is to rest. Well, I know that we're running out of time, but there's a few things that I just kind of want to touch on quickly. Yeah. And I, I don't know if we'll try to touch on these quickly. So I think I would encourage everyone to check out your podcast because there's great information there. And two, or three episodes that really stuck out to me. One was um, things you wished you knew 10 years ago. So could you just give us a little, a little synopsis of some of the things you wished you would have known 10 years ago? Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest for me is that someone's going to judge you no matter what you do and, you know, kind of shaping things based on like, oh, I'm afraid I'm going to annoy this person if I post this on Instagram, or I'm afraid I'm going to offend someone. It's like knowing that you're going to annoy someone no matter what. And so you might as well do the thing that feels the most authentic to you, because that's really where like the joy and the peace are is being ourselves. And, and yeah, I think that the other thing jumping off of that is that what works for other people isn't necessarily going to work for each person. You, you really need to figure out how, um, how you work, what's unique about you, because that's really where the magic is. And, you know, you and I, we both love education and do education ourselves, but I think the most powerful education is the kind that helps people trust themselves more. And then that funnels that through certain strategies instead of, saying you need to fit into this box of what I did, because I I do think that really where people's magic is in their business is figuring out what's really authentic to them. So that was something I wish I knew. I wish I knew that looking at my numbers would really change my life. And that that is such a big, you know, reduces anxiety and also changes a ton of what I focus on based on just knowing, having that information. And that's not as scary as it sounds. I wish I knew that there's no arriving. I've hit every financial goal I ever really dreamed of having. I've hit every business goal I ever really dreamed of having. And it's not in hitting the goal that makes us happy. It's in like enjoying the journey. And so I think that would have let me not delay my joy so much or like not feel so much urgency because I really was like, oh, well, when I get here, then I'll go on that vacation or then I'll enjoy this thing or then I'll take this break or then I'll have that friendship or whatever. And it's just like, you don't really arrive and that's okay. But I think that that information would have freed me up a lot sooner. Yeah. I'm smiling big over here because that's something I've been thinking about a lot and something we've talked a lot about in this podcast is that you spend the early part of your career, just working yourself, you know, to death, not to death, but, you know, working so hard to build something. And once you kind of reach a certain point that, you know, you can meet your needs, pay your bills, like there's not such stress that next month's bills aren't going to get paid. Then, then you come to the realization. I think that, like you said, there's no pinnacle. You're not going to wake up one day and go, I've made it. Like, so 
you really have to spend some time thinking about what is success and what is enough. And like you said, not delaying the joy because you were going to wake up one day and be on our deathbed and think I didn't enjoy my life. I mean, now, you know, I'm still, I'm still launching new things and trying new things and working and it's, but it's because I enjoy those things, right. you know, I like right. enjoy marketing and I enjoy, you know, but I think that that's a good point of, of, yeah, there definitely was a point where my needs were met again, that like the basic hierarchy of needs, like it was really stressful before basic needs were met and getting to that, getting to that level did change a lot because it like took off the constant every day. Am I going to be okay? Fear. So I do think that that, that is important to say. Okay. So to wrap up, I'm going to ask just some quick questions. So proudest moment. Proudest moment. A, a lot of them, I was trying to think about that question. A lot of them are when my clients say, I really trust myself or I really struggled through this thing. And now I'm there. Like that's a really proud moment is when people have kind of a breakthrough after doing some coaching. Biggest mistake. Yeah. I mean, I I definitely shot over a card early on and that like, I still, my body hurts when I think about it. I feel like every photographer has that moment at some point. Yes, I did. I actually deleted half a wedding once and I'll, you, you never do that again after yeah, you no, do you that one. Do yeah. <laughs> so best advice you were ever given. I've heard this from a few different people in different ways, but just that most people quit right before the breakthrough. And if you just keep going longer than you think you're supposed to go, you get there eventually, you know? So I think like most people give up right before right before it. What is bringing you joy these days? I mean, my daily walks, I'm homeschooling Hudson right now. And we're out in the, you know, out in the woods, picking berries and traveling, doing some travel schooling and travel shoots. Yeah. Things where I really get to be present is bringing me a lot of joy. Most valuable skill you ever learned. How to connect with anybody is definitely a skill I learned, but also a skill I learned more recently is sales. And I would say that that translates into like so many things that you do in life is understanding how to do sales in a way that feels authentic. I agree. And my last and signature question, how would you define success? I would define it as having the freedom to do what you want most of the time. (laughs) Yep. Well, thank you so much. Like, please tell everyone where they can connect with you. I'm on Instagram a lot at Kristen Sweeting and I have a podcast that I'd love for you to listen to Dangerous Creatives podcast. Everything you need to know is from there. (laughs) What's next for Kristen Sweeting? Do you have a goal that you're working on? This is a goal I've worked on for a while that is about to happen is spending like a month in a different country every year. So we're about to go and do a remote month in Cartagena, Colombia. And I'm really excited about that. Wow. Good for you. Thank you, Kristen. Yeah. Appreciate thank you, you for having me. Kristen, we can't thank you enough for being so open with us this episode. I know for myself, oftentimes the thing I need most as an entrepreneur isn't more ideas or goals. It's clarity on how to navigate my current business from an expert like Kristen. 
I love how Kristen did such an amazing job of not only pouring out knowledge on how to pursue the next big steps in our business, but she also balanced that with the wisdom of knowing how to reflect on your current accomplishments with true contentment, joy, appreciation, and pride. If this episode with Kristen left you wanting more advice, support, and camaraderie from your photography business, we'd love to meet you over at the Motherhood Anthology community on Facebook. We also offer a membership with more concentrated mentoring, coaching, and education within TMA that will reopen after the beginning of the new year. You can find out when enrollment will open back up and when new opportunities and resources are available by joining our email list at themotherhoodanthology.com. You can also connect with us at The Motherhood Anthology on Facebook and Instagram. As I mentioned at the beginning of my discussion with Kristen, I absolutely love this quote by Henry Ford. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. So with that parting quote, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of The Motherhood Anthology podcast. From Ireland to yours, until next time, friends.